Thank you guys uh, for giving me the opportunity to be here. As Seth said, I have the beautiful opportunity of pastoring at our Russellville campus, and I am so excited uh, to be with you today because I'm so excited to see what God is doing up here at New Life Church Fayetteville. Every single time I come up here, I just see the energy increasing. I see people more and more behaving and acting and living like Jesus taught us to. And it is just so exciting to see the inspiration, the motivation from so many of you and the way that you guys love Jesus, the way that you love this vision and the way that you love this church. And I also know it's been a journey for New Life Church Fayetteville, but isn't God good? It doesn't matter what comes against us. What a great example, just seeing this church and seeing the energy and seeing what God has done over the last few years is a testament to what God can do in our lives. That if we stay faithful, if we continue to stay centered under God's will and God's vision, he can do miraculous things and he can inspire a community of people. He can inspire you in your life as well. And so it's so exciting to see what is happening in Fayetteville and Listen, I have told you guys every time I come up here how incredible the Tombolis are, and I'm just going to say it again. I told you so about the Tombolis. They are just some incredible people. They have incredible hearts, and there is so much that I personally learn from Seth and who he is, the man of God that he chooses to be, and I'm excited that he's going to be up at Collide Night speaking to thousands of students across the entire state. What a privilege and honor he gets to do that, but I know he loves this place. He loves you. He is excited about what God is doing. And one more time, can we give Jesus some praise at all that he's done in Fayetteville through the Tombolis, through all of you guys? It's exciting. I always love coming to Fayetteville too because I'm from Russellville. We don't have Onyx there. And then we don't have what I believe is the sacred presence of the Holy Spirit in food. It's cronuts. Has anybody ever had a cronut? Listen, the biggest point you may get from my entire message today is go get you some cronuts, okay? You will thank me later. Cronuts are where some of you are like, listen, you haven't experienced the presence of God in your stomach unless you've had a cronut. No, I'm just kidding. That was too far. But go get you some cronuts today. I got me some cronuts. But I am more excited about this series, excited about what God is doing through the gospel of Mark. It's so cool because along with this gospel of Mark, you also have some individual reading. We have these bookmarks that we're going to be giving to you guys that have all of the information as you can follow a study on your own, a personal study, just more extensive look into the gospel of Mark. And I know Seth kicked off the gospel of Mark last week when he talked about verses one through 13. And today I wanna to talk to you about actually the entire rest of the chapter of chapter one and show you some things in it. But you know, one of the most fascinating things to me about Mark was who was Mark? And Mark is special to me because his full name is actually John Mark. And my father is actually named John Mark. And I have a three month old son who is also named John Mark. And so this is a special book to me for a lot of ways. But the man John Mark is fascinating because we know from Acts chapter 12 a little bit about the early history. It's interesting how John Mark started and it's also fascinating how he finished. He actually in Acts chapter 12, his mother Mary was a meeting house in Jerusalem for the early church. And so John Mark from a young age, he got to be around some of the most incredible legends we read about in the New Testament. He got to hang out with Peter, he got to hang out with Paul, and he got to hang out with Barnabas. In fact, he got to be raised by these three mighty men of God. Can you imagine being raised by Paul, Peter, and Barnabas? If you don't know about Barnabas, you need to go check out Barnabas and Acts. My man in the back is wearing a t-shirt about Barnabas. I love that. But what is fascinating is you would think, okay, he's part of the early church. Now follow me here. He gets raised by these three mighty men of God. You would think that when he grows to of age, 
when he grows to maturity, that he would become this mighty man of God himself. But what is fascinating is in Acts chapter 15, if you go there and look yourself, he was on a missionary journey at a young age with Paul and Barnabas, and the Bible says that he deserted them, that he actually deserted Paul and Barnabas to the point where Paul, we know about Paul, how amazing Paul is. He actually wanted to be done with John Mark because he deserted them. But Barnabas chose to encourage instead of push away John Mark. He chose to represent the gospel to John Mark in the best way that he could by encouraging. In fact, Barnabas literally means son of encouragement. They changed his name to that. And through Barnabas's encouragement, we find John Mark at the end of his life. He is in Rome during the Neronian persecution. And this was a really brutal time for Christians. You know, sometimes we look across our culture today and we think that we got it bad. We think that Christians are persecuted today. Man, you should go back and look at the Neronian persecution and what Nero was doing to Christians back in the day. One example, and I won't even go into all of them, but he would actually take Christians and douse them in wax and light them on fire just to light his garden at night. This is the kind of brutality that Christians, that followers of Christ were facing during the time. And so John Mark goes, He's watching all of this. And then he sees Peter himself get martyred for the sake of Christ. And it was in that moment that John Mark went from something who heard about the gospel to somebody who was convinced and had experienced the gospel. And it was at that moment that he chose to spend the rest of his days actually writing out the gospel of Mark. And so what is so fascinating about this gospel is the first lesson that we can learn is it's not about how you start, but it's about how you're going to finish. You see, some of you in this place, you guys may have started off wrong in your life. You may have gotten away from God. You may have deserted. Maybe you can relate to John Mark and even Peter that you have deserted God at some point in your life. And he brought you here to, today to tell you that it's not about how you started. It's not even about where you're at. The gospel is all about where it's taking you. If you notice the, one of the most important pieces about the gospel, even the way Jesus talks, is he never spends time talking about what you were drowning in today. He always talks about where the gospel and the power of it can take you. You see that song, like it says, there is power in the name of Jesus. John Mark not only believed that, but he experienced it for himself. Not only did he watch it in others, but we're gonna see in the way that he write that he was convinced of what he was witnessing. And here's the reality. We cannot become witnesses to the gospel until we are convinced of the authority of Jesus in our life. And John Mark was convinced. Can you imagine? He was so close to Peter. In fact, the gospel of Mark largely is based off of the memories and the account that Peter gave to him of the life of Jesus. Can you imagine though, watching Peter going from walking, from talking about this to walking even to death over the very thing that he talked about his entire life? See, in our culture today, we spend way too much time talking, but the real power of the gospel comes with what we're walking in. In our relation, Jesus doesn't want you sitting around on a podcast episode talking about him. He wants you allowing him to walk with him in your life. The power of the gospel is not what is said on a podcast. The power of the gospel is what Jesus did and what he nailed to the cross for each and every one of us. And so this is about walking in Christ. This is about recognizing there is power in the name of Jesus. And what is so fascinating about each gospel is that they write, okay, they write about the same God, but the pattern and how they write, you can tell each one of them experienced the gospel differently. One thing about Matthew, if you notice, Matthew is extremely detailed. And so he will start off 
chapter one in Matthew, for instance, he talks about the genealogy of Jesus. Why, listen, there is no, I don't even know if I've ever actually read fully through the genealogy of Jesus. Like, why would you lead off your gospel that way? It's because it was in the genealogy of the Jesus that Matthew was so detailed as a person that he experienced the power of the gospel. You see, Matthew is so detailed that he wrote about Jesus in a way because you can tell he experienced it. There is a pattern to every gospel that we can see that they are talking about the same incredible God, but they're also showing you how they experience him personally. This is a beautiful thing about the gospel. And so here today, I wanna encourage you in this room. It is not where you're at, it is not how you started, but God is interested in where you're gonna finish. And where he wants you finishing, where he wants all of us finishing, is under the powerful name of Jesus in heaven someday. And so I wanna to talk to you today about a pattern that we notice in John Mark, because each one is an eyewitness testimony to the power of Christ. And patterns are so important. We see the detailed pattern in Matthew. And today I'm gonna to show you the pattern with which John Mark's writes about the gospel. And patterns are so important. In fact, they're talked about in the Bible. Romans 12, two says, do not conform to the pattern of this world. You see, the patterns are so important because there are patterns in our life that if we aren't paying attention to, we are conforming to. In fact, there could be patterns in your life that are holding you back and prohibiting you from experiencing the gospel the way Jesus wants. You know what I've noticed? I have a two-month-old son, and his name is John Mark, obviously. I've told you that. John Mark. And what is interesting is when a baby's first born, they can't see anything. Everything is blurry to them. And so slowly over time, their eyesight has to go. Listen, it's okay, John Mark, as a baby, that he can't see anything. It's okay that everything around him is blurry. But over time, in order for him to grow, in order for him to grow up, to be able to take care of himself, he has to be able to see. So over time, his eyesight grows. And so now he's like two or three months old. He can see maybe two or three feet in front of him. And one of the things that I watched my wife do that I noticed was so interesting was that she started to place these patterns in front of his eyes. And I've noticed that she was putting this book with all these different patterns. And I'm thinking, I'm like, babe, he can't see anything. He doesn't even know what he's looking at. And she goes, no, he can't see the full picture yet. But if you get him to focus on the pattern over time, his vision goes from blurry and it becomes clear. And so as he focuses more on the pattern, he's able to see the bigger picture of what he's actually looking at. In fact, it is the patterns that, that are brought into focus that bring clarity to his eyesight. And my goal with you today is that as I show you which with the pattern John Mark writes about the gospel, that it'll bring some clarity to some blurry vision in some of you. Because I think when it comes to the gospel, some of you are blurry when it comes to the vision that, it, that God has for you in your life. That it is blurry in some ways. And so hopefully as you take a step back, as we head into this gospel of Mark, as you see the pattern in which he writes, it can bring some clarity to some blurred vision. And so one of the things and one of the things I want to focus on is John Mark's pattern in which his personal conviction, the way he writes. And I want, to, I want to show that to you really quickly here, and then we're going to dive into it. And so this is John's pattern when it comes to the communication of the gospel. And his ethos and his pathos and his logos, John Mark is convinced of certain things. And so when I'm talking about communication, there are three different ways that we communicate with one another, whether it is speaking or it is writing. We speak, we talk, or we write with ethos, which is talking about the credibility or the authority. What kind of credibility and authority are we speaking to or writing about? In his ethos, John Mark is convinced of Jesus's credibility 
and authority. In the pathos, it's talking about this, the writer or the communicator's appeal to the emotional or the relational side. You're going to see in the Gospel of Mark that John Mark, in the way that he writes, he is convinced emotionally and relationally of Jesus Christ. And then in his Logos, and this is talking about the logical, the practical side. John Mark, you will see the pattern in which the way that he writes, he is convinced logically and practically of Jesus Christ. And so let's look today at chapter one. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Mark chapter one. The first point is ethos. John Mark is convinced that Jesus's authority is eternal. John Mark was convinced in the way that he writes that Jesus's authority is eternal. This is a big question that we still talk about today that we still struggle to be convinced of, some of us, is was Jesus not just fully man, but was he also fully God? You see, Jesus wasn't just a man. He also came down in divine and divinity and divine power. And what I love about John Mark is how he chooses to start chapter one. Notice we talked about Matthew, how he started chapter one in the detailed genealogy, that he was convinced through the revelation of the genealogy of Jesus, who Jesus was, who he says he is. And I love how John Mark starts, and this is what Seth talked about last week, how he doesn't start with the birth of Jesus Christ. You would think if you were gonna write about Jesus that you would start with his birth, but John Mark chooses to start with the coronation and the orientation of the authority of Jesus Christ. Notice that the first thing that John Mark writes about speaks to the credibility and the authority of Jesus. He goes right to the moment when John the Baptist coronates Jesus Christ and his authority begins and the reign of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God begins on the earth. And I believe that John Mark understood that if we aren't convinced of the authority of Jesus Christ, then we will never experience the gospel and the transformative power that it carries. You see, John Mark understood that the power and authority of Jesus Christ was so impactful and so important that he chose not to write about himself, but he chose to write about the very thing that changed his life. We live in a society today that tell you to write blogs and opinion blogs about you. When we can learn from one of the gospel writers, the best thing that we can do is to always point people to Jesus. But you have to believe in the authority that he carries. When we were... When we were singing that song earlier, there is power in the name of Jesus. When you hear that, do you actually believe that Jesus' authority carries the power to break the sin in your life? Do you believe that Jesus has the authority from which he spoke, not just to us, but spoke to the people back then? John Mark was convinced that the authority of Jesus Christ wasn't just impacting his world today, but would impact the world for eternity. John Mark was convinced that Jesus wasn't just a man. That's why he wouldn't leave something that would last generations. Talking about just a man, John Mark believed that Jesus carried the authority for eternity, that he wasn't just fully man, but he was also fully God. This is why he actually uses immediate or at once over 40 times in the gospel. Did you know the other gospels only used it five to 10 times? Why? Because John Mark was convinced that through the authority of Jesus Christ, that we could have immediate and at once transformation, that we could experience miracles of God. Do you realize that if we don't believe in the authority of Jesus Christ, we could actually believe that he did what he did back then. But if we don't believe it's eternal, it's only temporary, then we don't think Jesus can still do it today. 
You could actually believe that Jesus healed people thousands of years ago. The question is, do you think Jesus could heal you right now today? Do you believe that Jesus has the authority to overcome anything the devil throws our way? Do you believe that he can break some of the most strongest chains in our lives? You know, we want to talk about sexual immorality and all these different prefaces. Let's talk about something that a lot of people deal with. Let's talk about porn for a second. Do you believe that Jesus has the authority to break the chain and the addiction that porn has on your life? Because John Mark literally deserted the gospel, yet because Jesus loved him, the eternal power, he was transformed even to the point where he watched people die for the very thing. Which John Mark is saying that living for the gospel is the equivalent to dying for the gospel. I, I'm just going to be honest. This is just me. I, I'll be honest with you. If I was facing, I, I can't even get my, to a point where I'm thinking about if I would die for the gospel. Because I'm still struggling with thinking about God's authority can set me free from some small things in my life. If, if you, how do you expect, think about this for a second. Got to calm down. I'm getting fired up. There was a season in my life to where I really struggled with if Jesus's authority could set, temporarily set me free from porn and weed addiction. Listen, I want you to think about you. If you struggle to think that God's authority can set you free personally, then how do you expect to believe that God's authority can save man eternally? We struggle with just believing that God's authority carries enough to overcome the sin in our life, let alone what Jesus' authority actually did. He didn't come to save you temporarily. He didn't come to save John Mark temporarily. He came to save all of us eternally. And he didn't just come for man. He came for all of us. And John Mark does a masterful job here in chapter one of bringing credibility to the authority of Jesus Christ. Look in chapter one, verses 11 through 13. It says, and a voice came from heaven. This is God. You are my son whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. At once the spirit sent him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days. Look at this, being tempted by Satan. Remember that, by Satan, he was with wild animals and angels attended to him. I love what John Mark does here to establish the supernatural authority of Jesus Christ. Because what he leads with is he tells us that Jesus' authority was first of all recognized by a supernatural being, God, but it was also recognized by a supernatural being, the, the devil as well. Do you realize that one man got the attention of an eternal God and also of a supernatural power, Satan? Now listen, I don't think, I famously heard somebody say, I'm not worried, I'm just concerned. <laughs> I don't think the devil would ever admit to us that when Jesus' authority was being established that he was worried, but his actions definitely show he was concerned. Can you imagine that when you first come to know Christ that Satan drops down himself for 40 days and tempts you? I'm gonna be honest with you. I wouldn't last 40 seconds with Satan tempting me. And some of you were like, oh yeah, you would. You know how I would? Through the authority of Jesus Christ. Ooh, but if we don't believe in it, it was recognized by, listen, it, only a supernatural power could get the attention and the recognition of other supernatural authority. And so John Mark is saying, listen, God and Satan both believed this wasn't just a man. God believed this was his son. And Satan was so concerned, he spent 40 days trying to ruin the authority that was established in that moment. 
And listen, that Satan's going to spend the rest of your life trying to ruin Jesus' authority in your life as well. And this is why he is going to work overtime to tempt you, to get you, to convince you of the other. Because he knows once you are convinced of the authority of Christ, there is nothing that he can do. Just like there was nothing he could do to Jesus in that moment. Guess what? Through the authority of Jesus Christ, there's nothing Satan can do to you that can overcome that authority. The question is, do you believe in it? Do you believe in the power, in the name of Jesus? Look at this in verse 24. Because I think sometimes the devil has a better recognition of the authority of Christ than we do. Look at this. This is the words of a demon here. What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Look at this. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. The, the Holy One of God. Listen, the devil and demons know who Jesus is. The question is, do you? This is a demon saying, I know who you are. And guess what? That's bad news for the demon. <laughs> but you see, when we grab, when we know who Jesus is, it's good news for us. When you know the authority of Jesus Christ and what he can do for your life, that is not bad news. That is the good news. Because Jesus came not to get you, not to make you build a statue of him with his authority. He brought his authority simply to give to you. <laughs> you know, there are many, I want you to think, you really got, because the, the Holy Spirit challenged me on this. There are so many people who are not Christians who believe that Jesus was a good man, was a good teacher, was a kind servant. You see, nobody has a problem when we talk about Jesus as the teacher, but people start to have a problem when you talk about Jesus as their savior. See, many of us, we love Jesus the man, but we have a hard time in believing in Jesus the savior. And Jesus didn't come just to have, to teach us good principles. He didn't come just to be a good example. He lit, I can't yell enough, I'm gonna stop yelling. He, listen, you gotta get this today though. There's nothing, he literally came to save you. He came to save us. And think about how much time and energy and effort we put into other men thinking they can save us when all of them broken can't. We spend so much time on Facebook arguing politics. At the end of the day, none of them can save humanity. You know why? Because we already have the one who did, and his name is Jesus. So maybe if we spent more time talking about the authority of Jesus in our lives, we would begin to see the transformative power take place in the world around us. Maybe your Facebook page would actually encourage and influence people to Jesus if you stopped talking about politics and started talking about Jesus. It's the authority of Jesus that overcomes. This is why when Satan came to him and said, hey, don't you want every kingdom on earth? Jesus says, why would, I have, why would I do this for every kingdom on earth when I have every kingdom under my name in the entire universe? The authority of Christ can change your life. And you know, Jesus spoke with authority. Do we speak with the same authority that Jesus spoke to and over each and every one of us? Look at what he says here in verses 14 and 15, chapter one. After John was put into prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come. Look at this. He says, this is Jesus's words. The kingdom of God has come near. 
Repent and believe the good news. You know what I love about this pattern that John, that he starts off this way? Because this is what he reveals to us as well. That before Jesus rescued, delivered, or saved anyone, he first established the credibility of his authority. Listen, hear me. Before Jesus can rescue, deliver, or save your soul, you have to actually believe that his authority is credible to do so. Jesus can't save us if we don't trust the credibility of his authority. This is why some of us have been to church. We've been, we've done so many things. We've been to church our entire lives but we've never actually experienced a savior. Because some of you come to church thinking church needs you, but the reality is, is that you need church and you need Jesus. We've actually come to church and done good in our lives, but we don't actually think that any, we need saved. There's so much purpose because of Jesus's eternal authority. And I love how John Mark shows us now that this kingdom is established. Now that Jesus says the time has come, repent and believe the good news. What is the first thing we read about in verse 16 that Jesus does with this authority? Now that he has established this, I love what he goes off to do. He goes off to build relationships. He goes off to find his disciples. And here we see the pattern of pathos. The pattern is, is that Jesus is relational that Jesus brought all of this authority. Can you imagine, you know, we, we do this with ourselves. Think about you establish yourself in your life. You establish the authority, the influence of yourself. What was the first thing you, would the first thing you would do is go and give it to somebody else? No, the first thing you would do is buy a house. All these things. What I love here, John Mark shows us, the whole reason Jesus came was not to proclaim dominion as far as building a house and a career here on earth. He came simply to give this incredible authority over to each and every one of us. The first thing that he does is he goes out and builds relationships. We see in verse 16 that he goes and looks for his disciples. And so right here, we see this pattern. You have this eternal authority that comes down on earth. It establishes over the sin, over the sin of our lives, over the sin of our decisions, over the fate of humanity. And then we see the purpose of this authority. The purpose of this authority was not so that Jesus could establish himself, was so that Jesus could establish every one of our souls back together with him. Look at this, to redeem, to restore and reconcile our relationship with God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit, which he originally created us for. Jesus follows the same plan that we read about in the beginning of Genesis. The original goal was that God wanted to be with us. In the garden, in the very beginning, you notice the purpose and plan that God had for each and every one of us is he wanted to walk beside you in your life. He wanted to be with you. He wanted to help you. He wanted you to use his authority. Notice what he does to Adam. He says, name all the animals. God had given Adam over his authority to, to reign and to multiply and do what he needs to do. And Jesus came down and followed the same purpose. The reason that Jesus gave us his authority was to help us in our lives. Look at what he says in verse 17 and 18. In verse one, he says, come. I love what he says to his disciples. He says, come follow me and I will send you out to fish for people. At once they left their nets and followed him. I love this because Jesus did not use his authority to show people what they could do for him. We see here that Jesus used his authority to show his disciples who they could become in him. See, Jesus didn't come down and do what he did so that he could tell you what to do. He came down so that he could show you who you could become. The authority of Jesus Christ gives us the ability to be the best version of ourselves. Some of you are living in the worst version of yourself under your own authority. 
And Jesus came to give you his authority so you could become, we say a fully devoted follower of Christ. You know what a fully devoted follower of Christ is? It's what your soul, it's what your mind, body, and soul was created for. It is the best version of you. I am a standing example of, I am living the very best that God has for my life, not because of my authority, but because of Jesus's authority. I stand up here not to tell you about me, but to just like John Mark, to tell you about the one who changed me. And his name is Jesus. And guess what? He wants to change you too. That was the goal is to build a relationship with us. And one of the first things the authority of Jesus Christ can do for you is to provide your soul with hope. To give your soul some hope. Instead of talking about where they were, he gave them hope about where they could become. He said, see, Andrew, Simon, and Peter, your nets... With your authority, you only, all you can do is catch fish. But you see, with my authority, I'll take the same net and I'll help you save people. Oof. See, we can do some cool things under our own authority, but we can't change the world around us eternally without the authority of Christ. And I love how Jesus spoke into them. Because sometimes many of us, man, we get talked down to. We get focused on where we're at. We get focused on all of the sin and the mess that we're stuck in. And Jesus may have brought you here today to say, you don't have to stay where you're at. I can show you who you can become if you'll just trust and believe in me. There is authority that Jesus wants to give you. Are you willing and able to receive it? And so within the first 17 verses of chapter one, we see the pattern. We already see the ethos and pathos. And this is what is so funny because at church, we say this all the time, but we're literally saying what John Mark experienced for himself. And this is the first part of the pattern. Jesus wants to have a relationship with you eternally. Jesus came down as fully God and his goal is to have a relationship with you eternally. He risked everything. He risked everything. Philippians 4 says, he stripped himself of the luxuries of God. He risked everything, not so that we would serve him, but so that he could serve each and every one of us. Think about what a good and incredible God would strip himself of everything, would risk it all just to love and have a relationship with you. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus says this himself in verse 45. He says, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So now that we understand this pattern, just in chapter one, that we'll see throughout the entire book, that Jesus' authority is number one, it's eternal. And number two, the purpose of this authority is relational. You see, when you really truly, like when you not only sing, the people who were singing that song with their hands raised, that's there's power in the name of Jesus, are the people who have experienced the power in the name of Jesus. When you sing that song and you've really experienced the authority of Christ, you can't help but lift your hand. Why? Because even as you sing it in that moment, what you are experiencing is the power, presence, and authority of Jesus Christ. So I hope you see this pattern here is that when you trust and believe in the authority of Jesus Christ, when you step into a relationship with him, then what it does is the power, presence, and authority of Jesus changes you. It changes you. And this is what the logos, this was the practical. These are the examples that we read about in Mark. The miracles is that Jesus Christ is transformational. John Mark was convinced 
that Jesus Christ not only transformed him, but can transform you. It's so interesting because this is the part of the pattern that actually comes last, but we think it comes first. We think the transformation happens first and then we believe in the authority and then we step into the relationship. But actually what John Mark shows us here, what you can see in chapter one is it's the opposite. You have to first by faith, believe in the authority of Christ. You have to be willing to step into a relationship with him. And then once you do comes the transformation that we all hope and pray for in our lives. It is through this pattern and through this process that we get to experience the transformative power of the gospel. And this is why John Mark ends, if you notice how he ends chapter one with giving us all these different examples of the visual transformation people experienced. He talks about in Capernaum, driving out spirits. He shows us how he heals some of the disciples, family members that he goes through. But to my favorite and the one I wanna land on today is when he heals the leper. If you'll look at verse 40 in chapter one, right here, just in this example alone, just in this visual practical example, we're gonna see the pattern that I'm talking about here. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees. Notice how he starts off. This leper has never, this is the first interaction he's ever had with Jesus. And look at how he starts it off. Look at this. If you are willing, you can make me clean. Did you know that before Jesus ever spoke a word, ever did anything for this leper, he already believed in the credibility of Jesus' authority. When he walked up to Jesus, he already knew that Jesus had the authority to heal him. He already believed and trusted. But what's interesting is he says, if you are willing, because you see the New Testament wasn't written for this leper yet. He didn't know the rest of the story of Jesus. So, the, so he knew that Jesus had the authority, but he didn't know why Jesus came. So he says, if you are willing, and look, Jesus was indignant, he was, he was annoyed. He was annoyed at the if you are willing part. He reached out his hand and he touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately, again, immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. So you see, here's the pattern. This leper comes up, he recognizes the authority. Nobody had to tell that leper that what, you're, what, what I'm seeing here is not just a man, but this is also God. He recognized it, but he didn't know why. And this is what Jesus was annoyed at because Jesus knew why. Jesus knew that the reason why I came down here was to have a relationship with you. And even though the leper recognized and believed the authority, he didn't understand the purpose. But there's significant purpose, and I want you to notice this, in which Jesus chose to heal him. Because by touching him, Jesus not only answered the pathos of it, but he also showed him the logos. He not only healed him relationally, but he also healed him physically. You see, because the worst part about being a leper was not the bumps and the, all the different things you had on your skin. It was actually the fact that you lost the ability to touch anybody or for anybody to touch you. Imagine the rest of your life, physical touch is gone. In fact, if somebody, if you were a leper and someone wanted to come up and give you a hug, if somebody came up to you smiling and wanted to give, you had to yell at them and tell them to stay back. Can you imagine how hard it would be when people tried to come up and love you, you just yelled at them and pushed them away? Some of us, because of our sin, we do that oftentimes with people. As people come up, Jesus comes up to wanna love us and we push him away. 
But I can't imagine as painful as leprosy had to be physically. It had to be far more painful emotionally for nobody to touch him. You know, one of the health benefits, my wife is a physical touch person. And so this would, it would crush her. This would crush her if nobody could ever touch her. But you know, there are real health benefits to physical touch. In fact, we are created and designed to be, to touch one another, to hug one another, to do these types of things, physical touch. Here are some of the, just the small highlights of it. It inspires positive thinking and expands trust. It's known as the feel good hormone. So when we are hugged or we are touched, someone just shakes your hand, touches you, oxytocin is released in your body. It's a chemical that it releases. And this contributes to it, look at this, an expansion of trust during social situations. It reduces social anxiety and stress, which is why sometimes when you walk into church, you feel very stressful until somebody hugs you or shakes your hand. And it kind of calms you down. There are reactions to our body that are necessary. In fact, we can, a baby cannot survive without being touched and nurtured. It's so important. They, doctors even say you can't touch a baby. You can't cuddle with a baby enough because it's so important for their development. And look at this, it boosts, it boosts immune system and lower blood pressure. So, hey, listen, if you wanna protect yourself against being sick, just hug somebody. Just make sure they're not sick, the person you hug. But I just can't imagine how painful this had to have been for the leper emotionally. And so you see by Jesus touching him, what he is doing is his intention was before I heal you physically, I first want to heal you relationally and emotionally. You see, when you experience the authority of Jesus Christ, the gospel, it doesn't just transform you physically. It transforms you emotionally, relationally, and mentally as well. Jesus didn't just heal the leper of a physical ailment. Jesus healed the leper of an emotional, relational, and spiritual element as well. You see, sometimes today we think that the power of the gospel only come, miracles only happen physically. But what about the miracles that are happening emotionally and spiritually? What about when God rescues someone from being depressed, they go to being encouraged in their life? What about when God rescued me from a porn and weed addiction where I was mentally enslaved, when it carried the authority over my entire life and God has rescued and transformed. I wouldn't have kids today. I wouldn't be standing in front of you today if it was not for what the authority of Jesus Christ did and transformed. That is my testimony. And now I challenge you, what is yours? Have you experienced the gospel personally? If you haven't, I believe today is your day. I believe today can be that day for you. Jesus doesn't want you just coming in and sitting here at church and leaving and going back to your lives. Jesus wants to be in every aspect of your life. Jesus wants to heal, deliver, and rescue you from the things that have been ailing you, not just physically, but also emotionally and also spiritually. Some of us, we have a hard time being fully devoted followers of Christ, not because of the pain physically, but because of the pain emotionally. And Jesus shows here the pattern. If we just trust in the authority of Christ, he can heal us from anything in our lives. The authority of Christ gives our salvation, gives our soul salvation through a relationship with him. So here's the pattern. That Jesus Christ carried the authority for eternity. He came down here to have a relationship, to serve each and every one of us. He came down here to rescue and deliver and save each and every one of our souls. It's when we believe that, when we enter into a relationship, it's when we experience the transformative power of the gospel. I thought to give you guys a good logos, a good logical example of this today is there's this show called The Chosen. 
and they actually follow scripturally in this scene, literally verbatim, what actually happens when it comes to healing the leper. And so before we move on, I wanna show you this visual example of what we're talking about here. Check it out. Not to spoil this beautiful day or anything, huh? <laughs> Come on. It's a leper. Stay back. Cover your mouth. Don't breathe his air. Don't come any closer. It's okay, John. It's okay. Rabbi, 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 you cannot this disease. Please don't turn away from me. I won't. Lord, if you are willing, if you can make me clean, only if you want to, I submit to you. My sister, she was a servant at the wedding. She told me what you could do. I know you can heal me if you are willing. Seek your own honor. Please just do me this one thing. But what do I tell people? Go. Show yourself to the priest. Let them inspect you and see that you are cleansed. Make the proper offering in the temple as Moses commanded. And go on your way. Who has an extra tunic? Just one of you, just one of you. That's enough. I hope this example helps you see the, first of all, notice the reaction of the disciples to the leprosy. They wanted nothing to do with it. You know, the reality is if people knew about some of the darkest sin in our life, they'd want nothing to do with us as well. That would be most people's reaction if they really knew what was on the inside of us. You know what's crazy is someone already does. Jesus knew before he ever said a word what was going on with him. Jesus knew about it all. And what I love is that Jesus' reaction is far different from human reaction. He said, of course I'm willing. 
The only reason why Jesus was frustrated was because he even questioned whether Jesus was willing or not. I think Jesus gets frustrated with us when we question if he really wants to save us. That, that kind of question annoys Jesus because of course he does. Listen, it doesn't matter how horrific or the, the dark, deepest, darkest secrets that you may have. Jesus already knows and he's already proven and showed that he's willing to save you. Will you let him? Jesus is willing. Are we? I love John Mark's pattern here because what he shows us and what you see in that example is the eternal God brought his authority so that we could, he could have a relationship with us, which if we walk into a relationship with Jesus, it gives us the transformative power of the gospel. Before we can see the transformation on the outside of our lives, we have to allow Jesus to transform us on the inside. This is what we call a witness. You see, John Mark is showing us in the pattern of how he writes that he was a true witness to the gospel. This is why we have church, not so that you can witness a really great service, but so that you can stand here today and witness an incredible savior. And his name is Jesus. And just like he reached out and touched and changed the leper, he wants to reach out and heal you of the sin that ails you physically, emotionally, and spiritually. Now that you see the pattern, what part of the transformative pattern of the gospel do you struggle with? Are you struggling with the authority of Jesus Christ? Do you really believe and trust that it can rescue and deliver and save you from the sin that ails you in your life? Is the gospel to you relational or is it transactional? For some of us, Jesus is more transactional. Well, I'll do this for you, Jesus, if you'll do this. Jesus has already done everything for us. He's not asking us to do anything else. He's just asking us to let him be a part of our lives. So here are some reflection questions. You guys can go ahead and stand. You guys are awesome. Thank you today for your grace. Listening, I really hope and pray that as you see this pattern, it'll make the power, the power, presence, and authority of Jesus Christ come more alive, become more clear in you personally. Here are some reflection questions for you. Number one is, do I trust the authority of Jesus Christ? Number two, is the gospel relational or transactional for me? And then number three, what is my testimony? So I wanna challenge all of us to do, myself included. Here in these next few moments, let's just take some time and reflect on God. Where are you at personally? What are you struggling with? Where is your relationship with God? Is it, does it even exist? Do you believe that Jesus is fully God? Do you believe that he wants to have a relationship with you? And ultimately, do you believe that he can transform you to where aspects of your life that were once something you never talked about or something that you all talked about because it becomes your testimony. With heads bowed and eyes shut, you guys were awesome today.